0: long just turns, Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Giff. And this is How Wrestling Explains the World. Exciting episode today, Dave. Oh, you know that my favorite episodes are the
1: highest concept ones, so I've really been looking forward <laughs> to this all week.
0: Uh, we just got off of our Arn Anderson extravaganza with two A's at the end of that. We took a look at how Arn Anderson explains wrestling in general, and then we looked at how Arn Anderson explains the NWA and... Tag Team Wrestling, and now we are here to talk about how talking heads and the movie stop making sense are explained by wrestling. So it's exciting. It's a, it's going to be very high concept though. we're going to be talking, uh, or at least I'm going to be talking a lot about nerdy film shit. Uh, I hope you join me in that nerdy film shit. Dave. Uh,
1: as much as my constitution still allows, I will endeavor to, to get as close to your level as I can.
0: <laughs> That's good. You've always been a true friend when it comes to that shit. Um, so we, the reason we picked this, I, I for me, I was trying to think of something that would fit with Arn and Arn's like level of quality and professionalism and, but would still like be something we could talk about that wasn't just exclusively like, hey, he's a really good buddy cop. Like, uh, so that's why I I ended up picking Stop Making Sense, because for me, it's just a really great example. For those who don't know, it is a uh, concert film featuring talking heads, uh, and it is directed by Jonathan Demme, who also directed... Silence of the Lambs and another of other movies. uh, It's considered one of the great concert films of all time. And uh, what to me, it's like a really great example of what happens when everyone involved in something is good at their jobs. And all of those people are something we talk about on the show a lot is selling, being sold out. But we don't talk about selling yourself out in the sense of like really going for things. And I, what I love about this and what it reminded me of in terms of Arn was the idea of like every single time going as hard as you can in every single performance. Because like they really uh, – the Talking Heads really get after it in this film.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't want to suggest that any professional musicians have ever used like cocaine or speed or anything like that. Uh, but like the amount of energy that David Byrne seems to exhibit in the movie somehow just has way more energy than seems possible, which again is like something that you would say of like a great wrestling match, like a great Ricky Steamboat or Kazuchika Okada match. They like have that quality where like somehow the, the protagonists, even if they're not the best at all times, even if he's like missing notes at various times throughout the performance, or if he's like notably winded, he still is making it through, making it through, making it through and like giving it his all till the end.
0: Yeah, you, um, you see it and it's the entire band, the entire band, uh, which uh, is not just the original four members of Talking Heads, David Byrne, Tina Weymouth, Chris Franz, and Jerry Harrison. It's not just them. It is their entire ensemble of percussionists and backup background singers and everything like that. And all of them have the same level of enthusiasm for what they're doing. And it's really cool to see the way in which, and this is something Arn does. And it's it, one of the most endearing things about Arn is he took his job seriously, but he didn't take himself seriously. So there's no, when you're watching it, they're very free in terms of their like willingness to look goofy I guess would be the best way to describe it. Like uh, in the Arn Anderson match that we talked about, we loved last uh, episode about uh, with them in the road, uh, him, Tully, him and Tully versus the road warriors is like what this entire movie reminds me of. Cause everybody's just having such a good time doing their jobs. And it really like when you watch Arn in that match, it's just him having a good time fighting guys while also making, not losing that, like, it's a real fight. Does that make sense? Like they don't take, they take the concert and the idea of entertaining the fans very seriously, but they're not like, it's not like a dour performance. It's like really full of life and it's really fun to watch because of that. You never really get at to the point. Like, uh, when's the song over? Every song has this like kinetic energy that brings you through to the next song.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and each individual song has like its own lighting setup and its own visuals. Um, and like the camera focuses on different things that are going on stage. So it's like this great straight through experience, but each compartmentalized moment of it uh, still stands alone and has a unique flavor. And and that's very much like those rock and roll express with Oli or road warrior with Tully matches that we were talking about last week. Like we talked about how it's like, Oh, then there's the part where they clip his leg. And the next segment of the match is all about trying to get the figure four. Like it's the, it, it's the perfect machine where each individual part, when you take it out and look at it, it's like a marvel unto itself. But then when they're, when they're all together, you really have something that's flawless and that, and that is not just the assemblage of the parts, but something more.
0: Yeah, and the way that they build it is very interesting because they kind of use both the concept of work rate and variety to, like, es- a- escalate might not be the right word. They keep, for the most part, they reach a pinnacle but they keep a certain level of base energy that you see even during the first performance, which is a uh, David Byrne on stage by himself with a tape recorder, uh, not a tape recorder, like a, a, a cassette player, like a boom box and a guitar playing psycho killer.
2: Hi, I got a tape. I want to play.
0: The clip we just played—it's not the actual "quote unquote" version of Psycho Killer. It's a very sparse song that the actual song has a lot more uh, theatricality. Might not be the right word, but like, there's a lot. There's—it's an intricate song sonically. So to hear this this pared down version kind of helps you understand what you're going to be at. Like it, it establishes both a level of base excitement and energy you're going to get for this concert and also establishes like if this is the spar the sparse like pared down version of this song imagine what it's going to be like when we get to like life during wartime or burning down the house where it's really like they're literally running around the stage at one point
1: (laughs) yeah i I think they establish the themes really well in that first moment that it's like what are the two things on stage it's like man and machine to some degree and it's like the machine is is this very like thuddy metronome drum machine that he's just mm-hmm. playing and singing over and it's like it's the man and the machine creating art together uh but like all the interesting stuff is coming from the human side you know what i mean like the machine is there to support it and i think that's kind of like a i don't know i think that's a theme that you see throughout the rest of the concert is they do a lot of like highly visual stuff that involves like a person and a shtick. Like there's the big suit famously later in the movie where it's like the person and the shtick and like the shtick is funny, but still like the, the good part is the, is the actual performance is the singing. So I think they established that from the very beginning that it's like, what is it being like, especially a performance artist, like making a performance movie. It's like, well, first of all, they've got their normal responsibilities you know, as, as musicians putting on a show. And then it's like, well, what's this movie about, so to speak. And I think right off the bat with like just him and the metronome, like that's what the movie is about. They tell you right away.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's something I was trying to think of the best way to word it. They do a really good job of letting the gimmick, work without overshadowing the actual match itself or song in this instance like you have the performances and then you have the gimmick of that specific song for the presentation they're going to give and they don't let one overpower the other it's like a really perfect balance of things that help to make like I said make you compelled to listen to the next song because you want to see where they're going they don't swing wildly one way or the other to make it predictable they just kind of build on the things that they had before so uh, like I like I mentioned so uh, David Burns starts with Psycho Killer and then Tina Weymouth comes out to play bass on Heaven is a pretty slow song. It's about a bar. And then Chris Franz comes out to play the drums on uh, Thank You for Sending Me an Angel. Whoa. And uh, finally, Jerry Harrison comes out for Found a Job. <laughs> the entire ensemble comes out for Slippery People and what you see is this like building of like you said the world through these things because like after that happens after they get all the full ensemble out for Slippery People the background that you had seen which is literally just a stage background like it starts off with Dave Byrne with a cassette player and a guitar on a star background, like just completely house lights basically. And then it turns into this concert that you're at and and it doesn't become a concert. It doesn't become a full show until the whole family's there. And like that dynamic and the joy that you see with these people playing with each other and the deference that despite the fact being the lead singer and being kind of a notorious, like uh, egocentric person, David Byrne clearly loves working with these people and like giving them shine in a way that's really like endearing for somebody who could come off as really, um, douchey. If not for that kind of like, if he wasn't had a much more stilted performance, the way he looks naturally would come off as much more standoffish. But since he's selling out, he's like drenched in sweat during the first quarter of the the film. He's really like giving out to you to say this is how intensely i love what i'm doing and how much i want you to love what i'm doing i
1: think one of the kind of best moments comes towards the end of the movie and it is when david byrne does like a kind of old school big band or vegas show band leader style thing where he like pauses and he goes and he stands not next to only the full members of the band, but like each of the background musicians and like each of the backup singers and like calls them out each by name and they each do like a short solo and get recognized individually with the crowd. And I think that that's a really key moment at the end because I agree. I think that if not for that, it would kind of run the risk of the whole performance being maybe like a little too cute. Uh, But I think that when- Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah, but when the love is shared like that at the end, I think you do the, like, oh, thank God, okay, he, he is, like, he understands that he's part of this and it's not, like, all the the him show. Because I agree, that's, like, when you're first watching this movie or even when you're first listening to Talking Heads, you can have that moment of being, like, man, I really like this stuff, but, like, I'm a little worried these people are, like, a feat snobs.
0: <laughs> yeah, and what I think is really interesting about them is they all they all met at Riz or uh, Tina... Chris and David all met at uh, RISD. I think. Yeah. RISD. They all met in college. And like, you can see the ways in which that idea of him being the only star that matters, him being the like dusty roads of it. And then you see like, they pretty early on established with Tina coming out and playing bass and kind of like grooving with David and kind of loosening him up on stage, at least that, it's much more of like a, a, not a part. It's, it's hard because talking heads, the way that they were structured and everything. Uh, it's much more of a partnership than the kind of person that David Byrne is in a palpable sense, like in a, like upfront sense feels like it'd be possible. Like he seems like, like you said, like a stuck up jerk, but like you also get the feeling that it's a combination of him being so talented that you can kind of deal with it. But also like him seeming to come from this stuff, from a genuine place of wanting to be great and wanting to create great music. Does that make sense? It's not like a, I want to be the best because I think I'm the best. It's more like, I think we can all create great music together, but in order for us to do that, I have to like push us in a certain way. And it's almost what you get with the performance of like, he's the band, like you said, he's kind of like a band leader vibe. He's not like, It feels like less of like a lead singer in a group with three other people than like a band leader with this band. But the band is actually involved in the creative process in a way that it might not be in a more traditional setup, a band leader setup. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, I'll compare them directly to the band who they kind of followed, and that's Blondie. And it's like Blondie was Debbie Harry. Like, even if the other people in the band were writing the songs and and, and participating in really, really important ways, it's like kind of the whole oeuvre of the band was was tied up in her and and her image as an individual kind of became the the like. You know, People, when they thought of Blondie, thought of her. They didn't even realize it was the name of the band, so to speak. And that's definitely not the case with Talking Heads. It, it feels more collaborative and like, a, I don't even know, like, a, like a, it, it's more like the way like Queen is depicted in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody or even outside of that movie. It's, it's always been kind of the lore of that band that these were like true intellects and artists bouncing ideas off each other and, you know, some working in isolation at times, but then coming together both in whole group and in, in different groups of two and three to work together. I feel like talking heads has that feel way more than like, yeah, compared to Blondie where it is. different. And
0: it's kind of like, it reminds me a lot of the idea of what we talked about uh, during our Arn episodes, that of Rick and Arne, where like Rick gives so much love to Arne that it's clear that they're both making a decision to do like, it, uh, the perfect example of this is genius of love is the song that the tom tom club plays which is the members of talking heads without david byrne and you listen to the song heard this song like a thousand times and what you realize is it's like one of the most popular samples in the history of rap music it's not like amen the amen break right but it's like it's a really important beat to the history of rap and r&b and you don't you realize like these people are such unbelievably talented musicians that like even if they had never met david byrne those two those three would be huge music you know, like well-respected musicians, because there's clearly something to that group outside of the context of David.
1: Oh yeah, certainly. I, number one, I associate that song most with Mariah Carey and ODB. Yes. <laughs> I, that's just exactly how old I am. But I think Nick's right. There's a, for every five year range, there's an important rap song that, that samples that, but for me, it's, it's Mariah Carey and ODB. Yeah, it gets back to something I think that some of our listeners might be hearing more about in the future. Um, and and that's those, like, Crockett-era promos where you would get all four guys. You would get, you know, Arn and Flair and Tully and, you know, JJ or Oli or whoever, and, and they would all be there together. And it was like, it, it it was mostly, you know, Flair was the one with the most charisma, and he was the one who was in the most important position but it was like each each individual member was, was significant to the, to the success of the thing as a whole. And, and they each individually kind of showed off their skills and it was about the group as a whole. And that's one of the things that I appreciated about the way this movie was shot mm-hmm. is there certain points in the movie where they're choosing to focus on individual performance, whether it's main members of the group or even whether it's like backup singers, backup dancers, uh, additional percussionists and stuff. Like they'll sometimes just call someone out and like that's the go-to person for that song. Mm -hmm. And like the emotional moments of that song are filtered primarily through that person's face. And I think that rings true to a lot of those kind of territorial era, whether it was the Horseman or or any other of those kind of heel factions that were common throughout the territories when they would all come out and kind of cut promos together, uh, there was that kind of all for one, one for all mentality, and I think that came through in this movie
0: as well. Yeah, no, I thought of the exact same thing. The way that they again, and this is all out of its Jonathan Demme, they give shine to everybody uh, in terms of shooting, like in the physical way they shot the story of the concert film that all the percussionists and especially the background singers uh, in part because of where David Byrne is in the, on the stage, but also in general, they're just, you know, kinetic and it's, they're, they're photogenic or telegenic in this instance. Like it's, it is that idea of like, we're here to get everybody over because we understand that getting everybody over is important to the future success of the band in a traditional sense, but also in the like way that when you, are talking like the next week in terms of wrestling, it, it helps build the confidence for lack of a better term of the other people. Cause it makes them feel like they're involved. Like the problem that Arn and Tully had, wasn't that they weren't treated with respect by Rick and like people on the roster and they weren't given their respect as like top people on the roster by the boys. The problem was management and the, it not paying them enough. And based on what they were deserved, they was, there's never this like, or at least in my experience, there's not this story you hear backstage about like, Arn having a problem with Rick. Does that make sense? Like Arn understood what Rick was doing in the same way that the talking heads, the rest of talking heads understands that David Byrne is David Byrne. He's like a different kind of dude, which is why they started to band themselves because like, I think they understood like we, he is a rocket ship. Like we can attach ourselves to him but like we also have to be able to build our own thing. So if we want to go to let's say a different band, or in the case of in the case of Arn going to WWE and having a relatively successful run, uh, winning a title, or t- I think they won the titles twice. Like he didn't flop necessarily in WWE in the same way that the Tom Tom Club isn't an unpopular band. In fact, um, Genius of Love is like one of the best charting songs in the history of like the Talking Heads disc, uh, like larger discography. So like they prove that they could have success outside. And that really, I think helps you build confidence as performers. And there's a lot of confidence in both the performance and the presentation of the performance. I think Jonathan Demi does a really great job. Uh, He's very confident in the shots he makes and the decisions that they make as a collective in terms of like things like set design and stuff like that.
1: As I was saying at the beginning, like it's it's a very intentionally put together Um, like as you were saying, the the they literally start with an empty stage and they like build the show in front of you throughout that sort of expositional period at the beginning of the movie like we were talking about. Like mm-hmm. as someone who used to teach like literature to children, um, like this has one of the clearest narrative arcs of any movie I've ever seen, even though it's a concert movie. Like there's a period of exposition at the beginning where they slowly build the world and introduce the characters and then there's like rising action towards a climax and then there's falling action towards resolution at the end and that's not just within the songs and the order they're performed in and the energy that peaks it's also literally with what you're visually seeing like you said they start with nothing and they build to this just like super explosive alive stage and i agree with what you're saying it has this like very Live, very confident, very like positive energy pumping out of it in every direction.
0: And this is, I, I hate to say it again, but uh, talking, I realize all the connections between Arn and between um, this, what we're talking about, that they show the story they don't tell the story in a way that Arn does really 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 well that like there's no exposition in the case of Arn or in the case of broadly professional wrestling there's no exposition that the announcer has to do there's no somebody telling you like oh now what they're doing is this it's like oh they're telling the story of the song this way cool I get it and they there's telling the story of the band this way. Okay, cool. I get it. There's no telling us anything. It's all just showing us very starkly, very clearly, like you said, that this is the show that they're putting on. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. I got it. it. There's no wasted presentation. I think that's something that wrestling could really learn from. And it's not just that, but it's something we've kind of hinted at. Uh, or I've actually just flat out said um, every song has like a different vibe to it in a way that's really cool nothing it never makes it nothing ever feels repetitive but more importantly nothing ever feels like contrived and I think that's like even the part uh, so Naive Melody uh, this this must be the place parentheses Naive Melody They do it with the background of the stage is a library, basically like a, a bunch of books. And he has um, uh, light, like a, you know, like a lamp, like a standing floor to, uh, like a standing floor lamp. Um, and he kind of like messes around with the floor lamp and stuff like that during that. And it doesn't feel contrived. It feels like he's just like, not like a lounge singer, but it's, that's a song that's, it's actually uh, Kate and I, Kate's best friend's, wedding song it's a very sweet song that doesn't feel out of place but it is clearly like a cool down match of a song it is there to make you feel comfortable and like homey which is why they give you that like the the floor lamp and the the books in the background it's very like relaxed And they do a good job of each of the songs having that, like I mentioned before, gimmick, but it's more than a gimmick. It is like just, it almost feels like you're watching... not exactly but it feels like almost like separate music videos kind of like music videos mean a different thing than what i'm talking about like when i think of music videos but like videos of music i guess would be the way to describe it's like different videos of music for each song like it was almost like they were created separately and then stitched together but they weren't it's part it's a stage show and it, it does a good job of again not making anything feel stale but also understanding that like you subtle changes in things are what can make something great and something lame. And they kind of just make just enough of a change on every single thing that they don't lose the narrative thread, but they also don't make you ever feel like they're tying themselves in knots.
1: Yeah. And I think they, they play a really masterful game at, at being strange. I mean, the title of the movie is stop making sense. Right. Which is from, uh, which is from girlfriend is better. I think one of the the songs we do, like I said, kind of the climax or just after the climax of the show. Um, but, but uh, I think that they, they do so well to, to have, like I said, there's one, one of the other visuals is it's like a woman's belly button in pink, just kind of undulating behind them as they're performing on another one of the songs that's later on the show. Uh, that might be towards the end. That might be take me to the river maybe. Um, but, uh, but 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 like it, it's all weird but it doesn't have that like i don't know it, it they're not the velvet underground it's not <laughs> like too artsy weird that you are just like turned off by and don't care about it i think that one of the really masterful things in in this movie is the dialing in of the strangeness like you said like this must be the place has this like weirdly relaxing elevator music quality with like the the like really bouncy kind of airy synths in the background i mean it's it's once again, it's iconic. It's one of those, you might not know the title of this song, but when you hear the riff, you're like, oh, that's that song. Yeah,
0: it's a beautiful, it's a gorgeous song. And all of these songs are really, like, Talking Heads is my favorite band. So, like, I was exciting, excited that I could, like, make this connection. But, like, that's the other thing is it's really, like, these performances are sincerely, like, beautiful in the way they're shot in the way that they give so much of themselves to the audience and the moments that they're in especially the the, the background performers uh, in their moments to shine there's this real like I, I, I use this word joy de vivre it's a real like sense of Purpose in the stuff they're doing. It's just like this makes me almost as happy as watching the Arn stuff last week. It's just this like beautifully constructed film that doesn't try too hard to be what it is, but is unequivocal in what it wants to be.
1: Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of those moments in there. I for me, there's one where it's um, it's when the two backup singers come on the stage for the first time they enter and do this weird like dance pantomime with david byrne Mm -hmm. and then they like step over to the side to the other microphone and are the backup singers for the rest of the show and it's just this like quirky high energy strange moment where they're just like dancing with each other like they're little kids and like i it, it stuck in my head oh, yeah. you know I mean? yeah. and, and one you said the the joie de vivre the like that you can really feel there's like a like i said there's like a uh, uh an emphasis on kind of like childlike fun and like i said that emphasis on like people throughout this it's such a humanistic show yes it's not like compared to like a lot of other kind of new wavy type music it's it's which which like if you think of like new order or whatever like you know what i mean if you think of like the stuff that eventually becomes, like, industrial music, like, that's more and more machine. But, like, this is such an affirmation of the human throughout.
0: Yeah, it is a beautifully humanistic performance, Uh, again, throughout, but also in the, like, the songs they write. Like, my favorite Talking Heads song is called Don't Worry About the Government. And it is literally about, like, uh, a guy kind of – changing his life to fit into a certain structure of a world uh, so that he can like have the things he wants and there's this part where he's talking about like if you come up uh I'll stop what I'm doing because my friends are important and it's like that to me and although that song is not on this that like sweet night almost night not naivete but like purposeful i guess it would be purposeful naivete in the face of the crushing like the crushing like monolith of capitalism and consumerism is something that he like tries to exist outside of while still accepting like that's why he wears the suit like he wants it's all about presentation for daybird he talks about this in uh how music works um which is his uh, his book. And he talks about the suit that the suit, the idea of the suit was kind of to try to like develop a certain look that allowed them to like engage with the audience without being framed by the clothes they were wearing. Cause they wanted to, and then they realized like, Oh, you can't do that. Like you have to, present the thing you want to the audience as directly as possible. So there's less of a room for interpretation of the thing you're doing. And I think that's why it's so important. That this movie has no, none, not a single traditional crowd reaction shot. There are Shots of the crowd, and you can hear the crowd cheer, but there is not the traditional, we're going to cut to somebody's face to see how they're enjoying this. You are immersed completely in the performance. Uh, like I wrote in the notes for the show, um, the crowd shots that they do have, which are the ones at the back of the, the concert hall, look like someone at the show, like an anonymous person of the show, filming from the back of the audience. They're not, they don't look professional in the way that the other stuff does. And it gives you this like, you are a person at the show enjoying the show, but you can't turn around and see how the other people are reacting. You can hear them and you can be part of the audience and the energy, but you're not being forced to see like, oh, these people are having such a great time. You get to have the great time without being encumbered by the feelings of other people. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think, that, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's like you're a fly on the wall, but you're a fly that has full awareness of, of how people have fun and can also have fun with. <laughs> but no, I, I, there's, there's almost like a little bit of a Zapruder film quality to some of the shots. There's a shot they use a lot specifically towards the end of the film. Where they definitely, at the beginning, uh, they until the whole band is there, they show you absolutely none of the crowd. They're very, very super duper tight. But more and more, especially in the last couple of numbers, you see the backs of the heads of the first three or four rows of the crowd. And I always thought that, like, that has this kind of jarring effect that, like, you've been sucked in the whole movie. And then at the end, they're reminding you right before they wrap up, like, hey, this is a movie. Yeah. It's not just that you're not at this concert. It's like, this is, you know what I mean? It's not just that this is a recording and you're not actually listening to us play. This is actually a movie about us performing. Like at the end, I think that they show you those rows suddenly to kind of make you process all that as as they're kind of going home. Like that's one of the final go home thoughts.
0: I, I think that allows you to have this like, since it's framed as a concert performance, you get to see like the ways in which, this sounds silly, like the ways in which there's no, there's nothing that's good enough of a sound system, or in this case, like a a video system, like a visual way to watch something that it can make you feel like you're actually in the place. And I, I think that's like an important part of wrestling in terms of wrestling presentation is that like, they have to do things that you have to do when you're presenting something on television and this movie manages to kind of like both have that right at the end but not like you feel like you are engaged with their performance in a visceral way that i think only the best wrestling on television gets and I'm very impressed I don't know what wrestling could learn from the presentation of this because I think there's things like you have to show crowd reaction and stuff like that right but I think you can change the, the emphasis on the crowd reaction and things like that to create a more immersive experience that this movie does by not giving you the crowd reaction never giving you the relief of having other people validate your experience for you that I think is like an interesting thing I don't know how you would do it but i would like to see incorporated in wrestling is this idea of like i get to have the reaction and i can hear the reaction of the crowd and i think lucha underground actually does a really good job with this when they want to of just like develop allowing you to have a reaction that exists outside of the community in which you're watching the thing and i I think that's like to me the most interesting is that i can have a reaction that we had similar reactions we can have completely different reactions to this thing that doesn't like it is what it is. It presents itself as as what it is. It doesn't try to be anything it's not. It's a concert film, but it is like it blurs the lines between a film. Like you said, it, it has a great narrative. It blurs a line between concert and a film, not a concert film and a concert. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I mean, I love, for example, the Last Waltz, which is like the big three yeah. DVD, three CD spanning epic of the of the closing or final performances of the band. Uh, but mm-hmm. like that is very clearly and very self-consciously an attempt to do like the greatest live show ever and to yes, document exactly. in a way that this, this could not be more different. And I like you incorporated, you said the word visceral. I think that's why I compared it to the Zapruder film, even though I didn't really explain my thinking very well then, but it has this, like when you're looking at it, um, like you said, it has this music video quality, but you're also, you're also very aware when you watch this that you're like looking at art. And I think that this yes. is a very accessible quote unquote art film. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of what makes it so fun, is that it's like really, really light. And it's almost like you're watching a sequence of music videos, like we keep talking about. But then at the end, you're like, Whoa, there was there was a lot more to that than I was really appreciating like moment for moment. and I think that's something that that wrestling when it's at its best really does too. Like I always say in TNA, even though it got botched off a cliff afterwards, the revelation that Bully Ray was the head of the aces and eights where they literally did the thing where they went back. And they said, remember these 20 things? Now think of them through this perspective. And it still makes sense that they happened, but where you were being led to look was completely the opposite direction of where the thing actually was. You know what I mean? So that was really what I took away from this movie and what I, what I hoped wrestling could take away from it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really happy that we ended up doing this. I um, now that we've solved wrestling through Stop Making Sense. Um, I have a question. Uh, if you could pick one, this is, this is easy, but if you could pick one, uh, song talking Heads song to be your wrestling entrance, what would it be?
1: <laughs> Holy smoke. Well, there's a lot of, there's, there's like a whole spectrum of different songs that they've done. Right. I mean, I guess the obvious answer would maybe be, ah, I don't know. I can tell you my favorite one is nothing but flowers, but I don't think that's a very tough wrestling. entrance. <laughs> maybe psycho kill. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was going to say Psycho Killer or Burning Down the House would be the other one where I think you could like... Uh, because what, what we don't realize because we've watched... I mean, most people that are, don't watch like old NWA or relatively modern ROH before they got a TV contract is like a lot of wrestling was based in like real music. Like if you watch like old Manny Fernandez, he comes out to beat it. They like play fucking beat it for this guy. And it makes sense given the context, but I I feel like... We were robbed because of the way the WWE does things from having actual songs as theme entrances. And that's kind of sad because, like, Psycho Killer would be an amazing song for somebody to come out to, or Burning Down the House, or, like, I'm trying to think if there's any other. Uh, Life During Wartime is it, which for me, that was the best performance during this. Um, just like, there's a bunch of songs that are just cool. And you could come out, and they don't have to be, like, quote-unquote tough. They're just, like, good, high-energy songs. And I I, I would like to see – that's the other thing I would like to see. I would like to see wrestling incorporate more actual music, even if it's not, like, old classic rock or – rap or whatever incorporate more modern like contemporary music that's not created by one person i think that would be the other thing i would want to see and like watching this kind of made me realize that like man i really wish that like actual music could be used in wrestling i'll say two things nick
1: number one the freaking alan parsons project the serious the the michael jordan song michael jordan they literally stole that from ricky steamboat like they used it <laughs> for Michael Jordan because they got the idea. Like that's how much like, yeah, rock music and wrestling were tied together in the eighties. Um, but the second thing I'll say, and here it is, you thought you were going to escape without me mentioning this. Uh, I like that in, uh, in MLW, they do the bit <laughs> where they don't have a, a lyric track. They just have the instrumental. So like Selena de la Renta and her people come out to like pinky ring by Wu-Tang clan. But like, if you don't get the lyrics, you just have to know what it is or like, uh, Uh, the heart foundation kind of like a rick ross song but you have to know what it is you know what i mean i even like that and because one thing that i've noticed watching that is like there's something to the like your body just naturally picks up on like a real hip-hop beat in the Mm -hmm. way that it like maybe doesn't react to like an in-house J dollar bill sign, whatever the guy's name is now. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be out of the loop. I know some people are all about the themes. So I'm the worst in that regard, but like there is something to like the way an authentic real song gets you pumped up in the way that like someone's in-house theme song just really can't. I think
0: it's why the monkeys were great. And the Beatles were the fucking greatest band that ever, like you can fake it and you can do a really good job of that. Like, Oh, that's what, um, to hold my hand sounds like at the beginning but you can't unless you actually do the song like there's just these combinations and and music in particular that and smell like you're hearing and your smell in particular are like the things that you most viscerally in your like heart react to and and that's i think what you're seeing is like i know that's a wu-tang clan song and i have all these memories associated with wu-tang, Wu-Tang clan or let's say like iron man or whatever and now i get to have those and not have this like third order reaction based on like oh is that it's you know what I'm saying like, oh is that a ripoff of blank it's like no that's the song it may not be the lyrics but like those are the beats to that song like that's a really cool I didn't I don't watch anything that's not WWE so I wouldn't know.
1: <laughs> can we talk about can we talk about Tommy Dreamer and how many different things that almost sound like the opening riff of Man in the Box that he's come out to over the years? That is a yeah. really brutal one. How many times can you rearrange dun dun da, da, da.
0: (laughs) They will never run out of ways to do that, Dave. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Um, So did you have anything to plug this week?
1: Oh, just my own sweet self as normal uh, at Dave writes junk on Twitter. Uh, A lot of great stuff featuring me. It's great because it's featuring me, at least in part, of course, Uh, content has been dropping over at the wrestling estate uh, we are finally releasing our top 100 list of wrestlers in 2018. That was a huge, huge uh, honor to be part of putting together. Uh, we are releasing 20 people each day. So uh, Monday, uh, the uh, 100 through 80 dropped, and then Tuesday, 80 through 60, and so on and so forth. So actually, if you check in at the wrestling estate, Every single day of this week, there will be some good Dave goodness over there. So uh, make sure you check that out in the coming days.
0: And you can check me out at the next, or the T-H-E-N-1-C-K-S-T-E-R. You can check us out at howwrestlingexplains.podbean.com And you can always uh, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say other than... Um, It's been your pleasure. I got nothing. (laughs) I can never sell that as well as Arn. (laughs) Um, You didn't have anything you wanted to end on, right? Oh,
1: no. I'm just going to let you
0: end on that. Okay, cool. Oh, you're going to let me hang out to try things. You're a true friend. Yeah, I'm
1: just going to let you end on (laughs) dying.